The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Proverbs 27 this afternoon. Two weeks ago we covered a portion of Proverbs 27, and today we're going to cover the rest of Proverbs 27. I kind of broke it up, um, it's, it's kind of scattered, and so the reading this afternoon is going to be scattered as well. It's Proverbs 27, verses 8, then 11 through 13, and 18 through 27. The reason I broke it up that way is because last, uh, a couple Sundays ago, we covered what is a true friend. And that's one part, I think, of Proverbs 27. The next part is what is a wise son. And that's what we're covering today. If we had more time, I would have just covered the whole section, but we just split it up. So today, what is a wise son? Verses 8, 11 through 13, and 18 through 27. So let's give our attention now to Proverbs as God himself, our Father, speaks to us, his sons. Beginning in verse 8. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a wise man who strays from his home. Jump down to verses 11 through 13. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. And then verses 18 through 27. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone, and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased. Add his blessing to it. Now, as we sit here and we hear this father talk to his son, we in here who are not living under our parents' roof may think, how does this apply to me exactly? I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm, I'm I'm a father. How does this apply to me? Well, this is where we need to be reminded that this is God, our Heavenly Father, who puts His arm around us, His sons, His adopted sons, as it were, and says, Hear, my son, let me give you some counsel for how to live in this world that I've created. And I think something we've seen in Proverbs is that this world does matter. This life does matter. We can get the impression that 
well, because it's not spiritual or I'm not a missionary or I'm not a pastor or I'm not doing something spiritual that it doesn't matter. It's all going to perish. It's all going to go by the wayside. But we've seen in the book of Proverbs that is not the case, that God does care, that these things do matter. And that is why God, our Father, through his word here, is putting his arm around us, as it were, and saying, my son, let me give you some practical counsel for this life. And so we're going to see today four elements to being a wise son. We're going to see first a righteous character. Second, really, that is truly satisfied. Third, recognizing danger. And fourth, routinely faithful. So first, a righteous character. We see in verse 11, Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. So wisdom is not just beneficial for us. When you are wise, you are wise for yourself, Proverbs says. It's also for the benefit of others. This father here says, my son, be wise that I may have joy, that I may answer those who reproach me. A foolish son would bring reproach on the family name. And so the father is pleading with his son, don't be foolish so as to bring reproach and bring me joy. And this is one of the ways in which wisdom benefits others, benefits our parents as, as we are wise, assuming that they too are walking in wisdom. But also, we see that this applies to God's name. When David fell into sin, God says, I'm going to discipline you, David, because you have given the enemy cause to reproach my name. And as Christians, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, we are to let our light shine before all men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So we are wise sons for the sake of the manifestation of God's name on earth. And what we have in our passage is how we are wise sons. We see in verse 19, it begins with recognizing our, our own sinfulness. It says, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Now from the Hebrew, this says, as the water to the face, thus the heart of the man to the man. And this is, this is difficult to interpret, as many of the Proverbs are. Is this saying that as water reflects a face, kind of like a mirror, you look in it and you see your own face, that what's in your heart reflects who you are? Well, that's certainly theologically true. Whatever comes uh, out of our mouth, our, our, our actions come from our heart. You want to know who you are? Look at the heart. Look at who you are in secret. It's theologically true. But there's another possibility here. And that is, when one looks in water and sees his own face, so when one looks into the heart of another person, he sees a reflection of himself. Now, we can't look into the heart of a person. We don't know somebody's heart unless it's manifested. Jesus says, you know them by your deeds. You don't know them by their deeds. What comes out of the heart, or it goes through the mouth. And when we see others' hearts manifested, this interpretation could be, is that we're seeing a reflection of ourselves. Because we're all in the same boat when it comes to our sin. Now, what's the way we tend to think? Look at that person's sin. <laughs> I'm not like that person. I can't believe that person would be so sinful. They should be more 
like me. It's kind of the way we think. We're, we're, we're appalled at sin, and there's some sin we should be appalled at, but we need to keep in mind what 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. Now, we may not have the same expression in our sin. We may not sin in the same outward way, but it comes from the same heart. It's a heart that idolizes the things of this world. It's a heart that views God's law as too much of a burden. And it's bad. God's word is bad. His commandments are bad. And they need to be broken away from. They're harmful, and I need to get myself out from underneath. It's the same heart. And so this should cause us to humble. This should humble us and cause us to cry out to God for grace when we do see our own sin and know that there's no temptation except what is common. Then verse 21, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. So just as gold gets put to the test in a furnace and that dross comes out, so it is when it comes to testing a man's heart through praise. Now this could be that when somebody gets praised, how they respond shows what's in their heart. They get puffed up with pride. They, they hurt themselves patting themselves on the back. Or it could be what people say about them reveals who they are. If the, the righteous praise them, speak well of them, commend them, then their righteous character is proved. If the wicked praise them, then that person's character is proved to be wicked, of course, generally speaking. Now, I lean towards this latter interpretation because of what Proverbs 28.4 says. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. So a wicked person who forsakes God's law looks at other wicked people and say, Ah, I like that guy. I applaud you. And Jesus also says that if we are of the world, then we would be loved by the world as one of its own. And he also says, Woe to you when men speak well of you. Whereas Jesus and his apostles tell us not to be surprised if the world hates us. Now this doesn't mean that everyone's going to be heaping uh, uh, scorn on us if they're an unbeliever. In fact, uh, it says in 1 Timothy 3 that one of the qualifications for an elder is that they have a good reputation with outsiders. But if somebody does speak evil of us, may it not be because we are actually living in an evil way, but rather because we stand for the truth, which is what the world's going to do. Oh, you're one of those Christians that hold a traditional marriage, well, you're, you're a bigot. That's what we should expect when we stand for the truth. In verse 22, crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle among, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. So what this is saying is that a fool is not changed. You can't change a fool by reasoning, by instruction, by the law. As Jeremiah 13.23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. What needs to happen is a change of nature. And this only comes through redemption that is found in Christ. When the gospel comes to us, and the Spirit makes that gospel effectual, and we believe it in our heart, then and only then 
Are we able to start walking in wisdom and be delivered from our foolishness? You understand that none of us delivered ourselves from our foolishness and just got our act together. It's only through the gospel of grace, it's only through the cross of Christ that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been freed from our sins, that we've been transferred out of this foolish kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son and adopted as wise sons. And so this is, any, this is how anyone begins to even have a righteous character. Now, second element to being a wise son. So first we saw righteous character. Second, really or truly satisfied. Look at verse 8. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. This is like a bird who abandons her young, which is cruel even for a bird. The young would be left to die. And this is the harm that a man who wanders from or leaves his home causes. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he's looking for some sort of satisfaction outside of what God has commanded, outside of what God has provided. He's believed the lie of Satan that living within God's boundaries are restrictive, oppressive, too overbearing. Those household codes described in Ephesians 5, they're the evil things, they're the bad things. I need to break away from them and do as I Please, that is how I will find satisfaction. However, verse 20 says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Sheol and Abaddon are terms used for the grave or the underworld, the place to which the dead go. It doesn't necessarily always refer to hell. It just referred to the grave. And the grave intakes quite a bit of people, doesn't it? Right now in our world, two people every second. And does the grave ever say, okay, that was the last one. No more. We're, we're, we're full. We're closed. No, the grave continues to take in people. In fact, what are the chances of you dying? See, yeah, probably, you know, upwards of 100% unless Christ comes back. And so, that's what this is saying is, is just as the grave is never satisfied, so it is with the eyes of men. They say, I want what I want and I must have it. And our deceitful hearts say, if I just go after this, then I will be satisfied. Is that ever the case? Nope. There's only one more thing, one more thing, just one more thing. If, if I just had this thing, or if I just had this situation or that situation, then I would finally be happy. And that, that's a lie. That's not true. That is not true. Our hearts are never satisfied until they turn and look to God in Christ. That is when our eyes are satisfied and are thankful. And so we should be satisfied and thankful with what God has given to us and done for us. A third element to being a wise son. We've seen first righteous character, second really satisfied. Third, recognizing danger. Verse 12, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. 
Now, this is a repeat of Proverbs 22.3. On the one hand, there are times of courage and not hiding because we are afraid of something and we have a, an enslaving fear of death. But on the other hand, it is prudent to not do dumb things that cause unnecessary pain and, and even death. And the question is, is this really necessary? You know, at my uh, former ministry in Montana, we had missionaries that were in Turkey. And things started to really heat up in Turkey. There was a lot of civil unrest. There were some bombings. Uh, the U.S. government was warning about traveling to Turkey. They don't go there. And we had in our church uh, members uh, whose uh, the missionaries that were sent out, their parents were members in the church, and of course, they're really concerned, and they're telling us, putting pressure on us, "Hey, get them out of there! This is dangerous. Uh, why are they there? You should be pulling them out." And we had to wrestle through this. Is this Proverbs twenty-seven twelve? There's danger, and they need to hide. Or is this part of the risk of ministry and and uh, being a missionary and? So what we settled on is that while if you wanted to go on vacation there, that would be foolish. Now's not the time to go on vacation. Yeah, that, that's, that follows this, the prudent sees danger and, and hides himself. Now's not the time to, to fly into civil unrest. But part of being missionaries and following Christ, knowing that it could cost your life, they decided to stay there. And we knew there was a risk. Now, thankfully, that civil uh, unrest settled down, and they're doing just fine. And if it would have really heated up and in God's providence, had gotten to a point where we said, okay, now's the time you need to pull out, we would be okay with that. But we, we see here that one of the distinguishing marks is, is this really necessary? Is this something that I should risk my life for? And then there's just completely foolish decisions. Verse 13, take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. So putting up securities like co-signing on a loan, taking legal responsibility for somebody's debts. If you do this for a stranger or an adulteress, people that you don't know and are even immoral, this father is saying, just take his take his." his coat. Take his garment, the, the thing that uh, is, is usually held as a down payment in pledge. Like, don't even give it back to him. This man is so foolish that he is never going to pay back his debts. So a wise son avoids danger and destructive decisions. Fourth element to being a wise son. We've seen righteous character. We've seen second, really satisfied. We've seen third, recognizing danger. Fourth, routinely faithful. Verse 18, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. You may be wondering what tending a fig tree has anything to do with our life. Well, it doesn't need to be a fig tree. It could be a garden or another fruit tree the point is, if you take care of it, then you will eat its fruit. You say, okay, that seems like a mundane proverb, and why is this even here? 
And perhaps that's the point. To be faithful to the daily, mundane, ordinary task, and you will be rewarded. Sometimes we think that life is about the big, extravagant moments. It's it's about the, the, the big things, and everything else really isn't worth it. But in reality, life is about the little, mundane, ordinary moments. Your children may remember a father popping in to bring them big gifts, but what will really matter to them in the long run is just that everyday, regular, day-by-day attention and care. You know, in sports, coach will talk about their players, talk to their players about the process and not the goal. Players want to look ahead to the championship, winning the big trophy, getting that reward. But coaches want to keep their players focused on the process to get there. The, the everyday hard work, just learning how to catch, right, Alex? He's almost, he's going to be a three star. You watch, he's going to get recruited. Now I forgot where I was. Thanks, Alex. It's the fundamentals, the daily grind. Uh, What may seem to be more important is the big game under the lights. What may seem to be more important, uh, if you're in the arts or if uh, you're uh, doing music, is that big play or that big recital on the stage, that big performance. But what's actually important is being faithful to the daily routine and practice. Someone doesn't just stand up and put on a play apart from the daily practice, the day-to-day faithfulness leading up to that point. But being faithful in the daily routine to tend a fig tree will lead to enjoying its fruit. You may not get the results right away, but just because you don't see the results doesn't mean that you should not be faithful. And this includes when you presently see and have the results. Verses 23 through 24 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generation? So there's a lot of shepherding and, hum- and husbandry in that day. And a person could know that he has a large flock, which means he's quite rich, and then slack off. Hey, I got what I need. I can just coast from here. I've already put in the hard work. I've gotten my reward. I've tended the fig tree. I'm eating its fruit. I'm taking care of a flock. And now I can just coast. I can just let my servants watch the flock while I keep my feet back up. However, the father here says, not so fast. Don't stop your hard work even when you have great provision. And why is that? Well, because as verse 24 says, riches do not last. You cannot rely on the certainty of riches. They are uncertain. Rather, riches need to be preserved. So you need to keep working. You need to keep giving attention to what you have. And the reward then will keep coming. Verses 25 through 27 speak of this. The lambs will provide clothing for you. The goats will provide payment to purchase a field. And you will have enough food to provide for your house and even the least within your house, the maidservants. What great practical advice we have from the Word of God. Be faithful day to day regularly. And you will enjoy its fruit. 
And then once you get that reward, continue to be faithful. Continue to routinely work hard. Don't coast. and You will have your reward. This applies to serving our Lord Jesus, of course. If there is any time that our service is not in vain, it's when our service is to the Lord. And it doesn't need to be quote-unquote spiritual. We even see in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. And the Apostle Paul declares that all our work done unto the Lord is not in vain. And the reason Paul can say this there in 1 Corinthians 15, that our work unto the Lord is not in vain, is because the sting of death has been removed. Christ has taken on the curse of the law for us by becoming a curse and paying for our sins on the cross so that we can even sing a song of mockery to death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And we can say that with confidence because of the resurrection of Christ who has paid for our sins. Therefore, the death penalty could no longer hold him in sin, and he has risen victorious from the grave. And he is now there at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, and he will come again for us to bring us into his eternal kingdom where we will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. And so in the words of the Apostle Paul, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for you giving us your word in Proverbs. You, as it were, put your arm around us and give us good counsel, perfect counsel as our Father, because you care for everything in our life. Not just the super spiritual things, but even the mundane day-to-day tasks. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.